So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And, um... We're going to be getting into some things today. Getting a little bit into the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ. And looking at, uh... A, uh the account of Jesus casting out a dumb and deaf spirit. Okay? Now, I want to say this. I am not... I'm very nitpicky. And I've got... I kind of developed a pet peeve. Okay? Um, I don't like the fact how preachers call... The... The Word of God stories, and they say they they'll say like Bible stories and you know Bible characters and stuff like that. And I'm just not. I know I'm probably guilty of that as well, but I just it's it's kind of starting to bother me when I start when I start hearing preachers say. Oh, let's take a look at this story, or look at these Bible characters. No, these are not characters. These are real people. These are accounts. These are testimonies. These are eyewitness accounts. The Word of God is an eyewitness account. It is not a bunch of fairy tale stories. I just want to make that clear. So... And if you ever catch me, if you ever catch me saying stories or characters, please let me know, because I don't want to. I, I don't want to. I, I just it bothers me when I hear it, and I don't want to be guilty of that. All right. So you, if if you all hear me say it, let me know so that I might repent. Okay. Because I I, I just it bothers me when people take the word of God and they say you know. Let's look at this story. Let's no, it's it's an account, okay? It's an account. It's an eyewitness account. An eyewitness account is not necessarily a story, okay? Just saying. So, so we're gonna be taking a look at the account when Jesus casts out a dumb and deaf spirit. Looking at the account of his transfiguration. Um. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of see how we'll, we'll go from there, okay? So you all bear with me. And uh, like I said, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 9. And we are going to start reading here in verse 1. It says, And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into an high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Now, it's very interesting on how that... Jesus takes up Peter, James, and John only. 
It's only those three disciples. Now, I just want to point something out here. Pastor Mike Hoggard gets into numbers. Okay, I'm not now. I'm not talking new. I'm not talking numerology. I'm talking biblical numbers. Okay, and so we see here that there is a pattern of four. We've got four people. We've got Peter, James, John, and Jesus. Now, the rule that was that you sort of see with the number four is that there's three that are same and one is different. The three that are the same are Peter, James, and John. Why? Because they are human. The fourth one is Jesus. He's different. Why? Because he's God in the flesh. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord and Savior. He's God in the flesh. He is God manifested in the flesh. Christ, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God. He is God the Son. And think about the, the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the Synoptic Gospels because they are written very similar. But you take a look at John, and it's written differently, but you get some, you get some similar accounts, eyewitness accounts, as to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but John is written differently. Amen. Now, I want to make a comment on verse 1. It's, and he said, On the verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, till they seen the kingdom of God come with power. Now, I read that, and the thing that sort of came into my mind was, you know, that could maybe possibly be talking about those that get translated. But when I went back to reread that, I don't, there's, there's some, I mean, there, it's, it's, I don't think, I, it's, I don't think it's talking about those that will be translated. Because, Jesus says, which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. What does that mean? Well, all men are appointed once to die, then, the, then after this, the judgment. Okay. So what Jesus is saying here is that there's some that won't see death and taste of death till they've seen the kingdom of God come with power. But we also see here that Jesus makes it very clear. He said, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here. Stand here. Well, what could that mean? That could possibly, I think it means as, it, as what it is written.
that there are those of them that stand here. Most likely, it seems like it's the, it's some of those that stand during that particular time. So I, I, I'm not sure. I'd have to go into research on what that first verse means. So all I'm really just sharing with you is just some thoughts that I had that I'm kind of, you know, now rethinking. Okay? Now... Verse 2, it says, And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and leadeth them up into an high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. What does it mean when he was transfigured? <clears throat> well, God tells us here in verse 3, And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. Which means that Jesus was glorified. He was glorified in front of these three disciples. What do I mean glorified? means that he shone like the sun. Which means that he showed them his glorified state. And he only chose these three disciples to see it. But he didn't just reveal his glorified state. He all there also appeared to him two others. You know what's interesting? How many people are there? Well, we have four so far. We got Peter, James, John, Jesus. That's four. Then here in verse four it says, "And there appeared unto them." Elias and Moses. Elijah the Tishbite that was that was caught up. Okay, he was taken up by a whirlwind into heaven. So Elijah the Tishbite and Moses were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus. Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he was not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. I want you to consider this for a second. With that said, how many how many of them were there? We've got Peter, James, John, Jesus, Elijah, Moses, and there was one more. God the Father. How many is that? Seven. Seven. There was seven of them there. God came by the means of a cloud and spoke and said, This is my beloved son. Hear him. 
Now, isn't that interesting? You have seven on the Mount of Transfiguration. Seven is a number for perfection. Think about that. Seven is a number for perfection. You've got Moses, which was the law give, which is the law, which was the lawgiver. He represents the Old Testament. You've got Elijah the Tishbite, who was caught up in a whirlwind. He was caught up in a whirlwind. He represents the New Testament. Why? Because the promise of the translation is shadowed and pictured in the Old Testament, but is actually something that is really fully represented in the New Testament. So you got the lawgiver, and you've got you've got Elijah. And think about this: Elijah was taken out by what? It was by grace through faith. What are we saved? We're saved by grace through faith. Elijah represents the new the New Testament. You have you've got Moses that represents the Old Testament. And then you've got God that speaks. You've got God the Father that speaks. How did God create the world? He spake it. He created the world. He created the heavens. He created this, all of space and the universe by speaking it. By the means of what? His word. So God is speaking. God speaks out of a cloud and says, This is my beloved son. Hear him. What is the one thing that God lifts higher than his own name? It's his word. God gave him God gave a word to the disciples and what was that word that word was this is my beloved son hear ye him you take a look at Moses and Elijah they are a picture of what the word of God all the New Testament is the word of God Moses and Elijah are ones pointing to Christ. God's word, the thing that he spake, what did that point to? Jesus Christ. And that moment when he was transfigured, everything pointed to Christ. Let me ask you a question. Is that how are, are you living your life that way? Are you giving your testimony that way? Does your testimony point to Christ? Does your life point does your life point to Christ?
Does it? We need to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith or not. But think about that. There's seven people on that mountain. You've got you got Peter, James, John, Jesus, Elijah, Moses, and God the Father. Seven as a number for perfection. Seven as a number for, per, for perfection. And what was spoken of was pointing to Christ. What does that mean? Christ, what you see how this is a picture of show this is a picture of showing you how Christ is perfect. That God's word is perfect. Which a lot of you, or not a lot of you, but which a lot of these people will say, well, the word of God isn't perfect because it's got mistakes in it. Well, let me tell you something. You're partially right because you got all the New Age Bibles that have mistakes in it. But the King James Bible has zero mistakes in it. There's two rules that you got to abide by when it, when it comes to the Word of God. Number one is there is no mistakes in your Bible. Rule number two, if you think there is a mistake in the Bible, refer to rule number one. Your King James Bible is perfect and will make you wise on a salvation. And it is through the Word of God where you eat, you grow, Where you get convicted, it's how you commute. It's how you commune and fellowship with God. And I'm going to tell you something: Jesus Christ does everything by the book. So ought we we ought to do things by the book. Why? Because the Word of God is perfect, and we see that this is a picture of showing you how the Word of God is perfect. Why? Because there was seven of them on, the, on that mountain. Jesus was in his glorified state. God spake, and that word that he spake to the, the disciples was pointing to Christ. Elijah and Moses are a type and picture of both Old and New Testament, which represents your Bible, which points to Christ. Now, we don't know what Jesus said to Moses and Elijah. It probably, we could probably speculate that he probably preached to them and told them the good news. But we see that, that Jesus' transfiguration is to show you how perfect the Word of God is. And Jesus Christ is that Word. And He's the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Your King James Bible is perfect. You don't need no other stinking New Age translation. If you have a translation that has an error in it, why would you use it? Any translation of the Bible that takes away from Christ's deity attacks, attacks 
Christ deity, attacks the virgin birth, or goes after the Trinity, goes after the Godhead, goes after the doctrines of Christ, any translation that goes after any of those things and takes away from it is Antichrist. That's right. The New Age translations are Antichrist. There's only one pure Bible that can save you. And it's that one pure Bible that is incorruptible. Which means it can't be corrupted. And that's your King James Bible. Now given there were Bibles that... Pers that, that there were Bibles prior to the King James Bible. Okay. That the King James Bible stems from. Okay. But... Today, in the modern English-speaking day, today, there is only one Bible that is pure and incorruptible, and that is your, that is your King James Bible. Before the King James Bible, there you had the, um, oh, what was it? I can't think. I cannot think of the the, the term for it. What was what what, what was it? It's the, um, oh, what is it? Oh. I can't think of it right now. My mind's going 100 bazillion miles an hour. But there were, there were other translations before the King James where the King James stemmed from. Called the Texas Receptus. If I'm right. Now I could I, I um I actually have to do more of a study on 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 that, but because I'm not as I'm not as educated in that particular arena, which is why I, I, I need to actually study more up on that. And I, I'm just being honest, I'm being real. I don't have all the answers. But you have the Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. Let me tell you something. Any version that comes from the Vaticanus or Sinaiticus is Antichrist. Amen? But we see here that the transfiguration of Jesus is, is really to show us that the Word of God is perfect. Amen. Now, um, let's see here. Verse eight. And suddenly, when they had looked around, they, and suddenly when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things he had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. 
Why? Well, um, hang on a second. There's a verse that came to mind. Oops. Uh, holy one. Um, here, here we go. Some here, here's, here's why I think Jesus said, don't say anything till the son of man be risen again. You know why? Here's why. Here's why. Psalm 1610, for thou will not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. You will not suffer thine holy one to see. Who's the holy one? Jesus Christ. What? What? It, see, that just comes to show you. That comes to show you. That Jesus Christ is that perfect and pure word of God. He's the incorruptible word of God. And what, what, what did we just read? That God is not going to allow his Holy One to see corruption. Amen? Jesus Christ is that perfect, pure word of God. And the fact that he... And, and, and because he won't allow his Holy One to see corruption... We see how Christ, when Christ was risen, Christ maintains to be incorruptible, to be pure, to be holy. Amen? And think about that. Pure, holy, incorruptible, perfect. Seven you see seven on the Mount of Transfiguration. James, John, Peter, Jesus, Moses, Elijah, God the Father. You have seven, a number for perfection. Are you guys getting it? Seven is a number for perfection. You see that... Everything that was sent on that that happened was centered around Christ being that pure, incorruptible word of God. That pure, incorruptible, perfect word of God. And his resurrection from the from the dead proves proves the fact that he is incorruptible. Now, verse ten it says, and they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the ri rising from the dead should mean. 
And they asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elias must must first come? And he answered and told them, Elias verily cometh first, and restoreth all things, and how it is written of the Son of Man, that he must suffer many things, and be set at naught. But I say unto you, that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. This was talking about John the Baptist. John would come in the spirit of Elijah, of, of Elias, Elijah, to what? To turn the hearts to the children back to the fathers, and the fathers back to the children. To prepare the way for the Lord. Amen. Now, let's continue on. A dumb and deaf spirit cast out is what we're going to be getting into next. Verse 14, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answereth him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou can't believe all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we, why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by Nothing but by prayer and fasting. Okay. Now. I'm going to say this. Because it needs to be said. And we're actually going to stop right there. So we will pick up here in verse 30. Alright. But here's the thing. A lot of. Ver- a lot of. The Bible translations, 
They take that part out. They take out the fact of prayer and fasting. And if your Bible translation takes out prayer and fasting in this instance, it's a bad Bible. Because Jesus makes it very clear. He said this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. What does that mean? That there are kinds of devils that won't depart, save you fast and you pray. Amen? Fasting and praying. There is power to that. There is power in praying and there's power in fasting. And so much that there are certain devils that will come out only by those means. Amen? So, but it goes back to the pure and perfect incorruptible word of God. If you have a Bible that when you look up the verse in this instance and it takes away fasting or prayer and fasting or it just says prayer, it's a bad translation. Why? Because though when you have something taken out, you have a hole in those translations. And when you've got a translation that has a whole bunch of holes in it, it's not going to do anyone any good. So therefore, so therefore, it, it, this Bible is right. There is, I'll tell you, there is only one pure, perfect Word of God. Amen? If there's only one perfect Jesus Christ, that means there's only one perfect Bible. Amen. Now, that's actually that's this is kind of where I'm stopping for now. We will actually pick up next time, next week. We will pick up on verse 30. Verse 30. And we will finish the chapter next week. Okay? We will finish the chapter next week. But that's actually all I'm going to do for today. Amen.